The following is recorded from Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. Hey, welcome to the creek. I love it. I love that family time because y'all actually talk to each other. I mean, there's conversations going on. It's good to be back. I was out last weekend. I want to thank uh, Trinity for teaching in my absence. Uh, my phone was going crazy even while services were going on. Like, he's doing a good job, you know. I was like, yes, I hope he is. Uh, but uh, I'm proud of him. Uh, his whole family has the flu this weekend. So I guess we need, to, we need to teach him how to repent before you teach the Word of God so it doesn't come back and get him. I'm just kidding. He's not here, so he can't hear that at all, all right? <laughs> But I want to thank him for, for doing that. I'm, I'm proud of our team. We have an amazing team. Proud of my wife. Uh, last night at the women's dinner, she spoke. And, um, you know, I love her. And so now you guys see how much I love her because you got to see her heart uh, through that. So I love that. Thank you to Karen and all the ladies that put on a wonderful event. Um, I heard Dave was playing the accordion and uh, all kinds of good stuff. And they left us some snow, you know, so in case you feel a little hot today. You know, I feel cold in here already, don't you? It's December 2nd. You know, winter's at our doorstep, right? No, we're in shorts and flip-flops, some of y'all. It's craziness. Uh, we're starting a new series today that's going to take us through Christmas. And uh, I wanted to uh, really kind of dive in uh, to this idea of perspective. You know, when I tell you a story that might be in a couple different of the Gospels, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, I'll tell you how this, this idea of a different perspective of the same story comes into play. And uh, just like us guys, we know that when an explosion happens in a movie, there's all different angles. Yesterday, I was watching college football. It's a great day for college football. And they will show you that replay from all, these, all the angles they can. Well, those are perspectives. And you will make judgments calls based on the perspectives that you see happening. And I want us to look at Christmas over the next four weeks, Christmas from different perspectives. I told you two weeks ago that after, after Thanksgiving, man, you hit this warp speed. And then the next thing we're going to look up and go, I can't believe it's Christmas day and it's over. And so let's, let's be intentional about a couple things this Christmas season. Let's slow down. All right. Slow down. The stores are open later. Slow down. Traffic needs to speed up, but you know what I'm saying? I'm just saying. I've been on 820 every day this week. And I mean, you want, you want to find out where your sanctification is, how mature you are in, in, in God? <laughs> yeah, I've realized I've got some work to do. Um, but I want us to slow down as a church. I want us to look at Christmas from different perspectives. And today we're going to look at a perspective that, that really, uh, I don't know if as, as I just get older, I feel like uh, society is trying to push Jesus out of Christmas. And I started really wrestling with this concept because I'm a Merry Christmas guy. I don't know if you're a Happy Holidays or Seasons Greens. I'm a Merry Christmas guy. Um, when I go to Target or the store and I check out, I say Merry Christmas. I was saying Merry Christmas for Thanksgiving. I was at Cabela's and the guy goes, Happy Thanksgiving. I said, Merry Christmas, because I'm that anxious to start saying it. Um, but it's kind of like this. You know, I think they, they kind of gauge yours. Like, I said Merry Christmas to a checker the other day, and she's like, Merry Christmas, because I said it first. In the first century, uh, when two people would meet on the road, 
Uh, it was kind of hostile to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus or the way in the first century. So when they would meet on the road, they would kind of have this sign that they would do. They would draw an ark in the sand. If the other person was a Christ follower, they would complete that ark. That's where you get that fish you see on the back of everybody's car. It's the ichthus. And so what happens is my, my line in the sand at Target is like, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Will you stand on this? So, <laughs> but... Uh, I want us, uh, here, here's the deal, here's the reality. Uh, as much as we uh, look at the different perspectives, the world has been at enmity with God since Genesis 3. Since the fall of man, since Adam and Eve ate of the fruit and, and the, the relationship was severed, death has reigned from the time of Adam. And because of that, the world ha- has a uh, view of enmity towards God. There's an antagonistic view of God. The harmony that was created in the garden has been broken. And when we look at the world's perspective of Christmas, it's not a new phenomena in our generation that society is trying to push Jesus out of Christmas. From Genesis 3, the enemy has been trying to push Jesus out of the world because he knew the redemption plan. He knew what was going to be happening with the first Christmas. I mean, just as much as the prophecies had waited and waited and waited for a sign and for Jesus the Messiah to be born in Bethlehem, the enemy knew that that was going to be the beginning of the end for him. And so this world's perspective is what I want to look at today. And honestly, uh, the best way to do that is to see that embodied in someone in Scripture. Uh, we want to put a, a face. We want to put a name, a, a person associated with, with kind of how this wraps up. And uh, we're going to look at a man named Herod in Matthew chapter 2. So if you've got your Bible, go to Matthew 2. If you don't have one, we have one on the, on the floor at the end of the rows. Uh, you can use that. If you don't own a Bible, Merry Christmas. So... Uh, uh, Matthew chapter 2, we'll start at verse 1. But let me give you some background as we're going there. Herod is the, the father, the patriarch of the Herodian family. And uh, the, uh, he was actually called Herod the Great. Now, he didn't come by that name honestly. Um, you'll see why in a minute. But uh, he was a builder of cities. He, he was known historically as a builder of cities. He rebuilt the temple, the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And before you thinking he was a good godly man, he also rebuilt many temples to pagan gods. He was just restoring and rebuilding cities. As much as he would build cities, he was a destroyer of people. Uh, he had one of his wives murdered, several of his kids, his sons murdered. Uh, it's said that on the day that he died, before he died, he had his officials arrest several prominent Jews in the city. And the orders were, on the day that I die, you are to kill those Jewish men so that there will be mourning on the day that I die. Because he ruled so ruthlessly, he was worried that the Jews would celebrate his death. And instead of mourning, there would be celebration. And so he did what he had to do to ensure that there was going to be mourning on the day he died. Are you getting an image of what kind of guy Herod the Great is? I mean, he was given the title King of the Jews by the Roman government. The way he came into power was, was he realized where power centralized, and he kind of nestled up to Rome so he could get one of his positions. And he got the title King of the Jews from the Roman government. He was only half Jew. He was not from the line of David. From the line of David, the Messiah would sit on the throne. He was not from the line of David. He did not have a rightful right 
a truthful, honest right to be on the throne. And so what happens is, man, when Jesus comes in, things are going to be a little bit shaken up. He's going to be threatened. So let's pick up there, Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to read the entire story, and then we're going to come back um, because I love the context of the whole thing. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? Can you see where the antagonism is starting now? Uh, wait, wait, that would be me, says Herod the Great. No, it wouldn't. Who has born, been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Let me tell you something. Harold, even though he was half Jew, he knew the prophecy. He knew what was going on. That was part of his upbringing that he would know this. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go worship him. And here you're kind of thinking, Well, Herod's probably not that bad. I mean, he's disturbed about Jesus, but at least he's going to make an effort to go. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone... An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child to his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up and took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. You see, Herod had some issues. Herod didn't have the rightful claim to the throne. And he began to be disturbed by this Jesus, the Messiah, the King of the Jews, the King of Kings, because he had a different perspective of the Christ coming into the world. See, whenever we have a different perspective or we, we feel threatened or disturbed, uh, we begin to think that, that Jesus might be a threat. I say perspective because of this. Uh, in saying perspective, there's the, there's the line of truth and then there is the way we want to define our perspective of truth. Does that make sense? We want to, a lot of times we will deny the real truth based on our interpretation in the way that suits us. I, I, you want to see me get angry 
is when we use Scripture and bend Scripture and change Scripture into our perspective to get what we want out of God. And whenever we have that going on, when we're confronted with the truth, we're going to feel threatened. Because Jesus has a different perspective than the world. The first thing that I want us to understand is that Jesus has a different perspective through Christmas. And so when we look at this idea of Christmas, the first thing is Jesus threatens the world's perspective of power. You see, we have this uh, mentality. It's not just in our society and our culture, but this is a world mentality. And it, it is to get to the top of your mountain as quick as you can or build your kingdom, or build your empire. Uh, we're we're kind of just in this mode to get as much as we can. We want power, and we want authority. That's the way we're wired through the fall and through the brokenness. It's kind of like, I, I want to be king of the mountain. And when you get there, you have a lot of issues that come about. It's a difference in pride versus humility. I mean, if you think about this, King Herod had violently pushed his way into power. And that power is now threatened by Jesus coming into the world. There are people who, who end up in this idea of, I say idea, we have this weird sense of control in our life. The control that we think we have in our life is merely an illusion. I mean, I, I said I was on 820s every day this week. Those lanes do some crazy things. And you can, they can, they'll change it up overnight. You'd be like, wait, this lane wasn't here. Oh, this, we go right now. We went left yesterday. You've got to be on top of, you've got to have control. See, I can control my car because I can get my hands on the steering wheel. I can decide how fast I want the car to go, how I want it to slow down. But here's the thing with life. We think we have control in life. And then when we start to feel that control, when, when life starts going our way, we start to think we have some power in life and we become prideful and we don't need Jesus. You see, I hear people say, Jesus is just for, it's, he's for the weak. Religion, Christianity is for the weak. Let, let me challenge something in a, an American view, I think. I don't think in America we're too weak for Jesus. I think we're too prideful and strong for Jesus. We don't see a need for his power. We don't see a need for him to be on the throne in our life because we've built it. We've got it. I've got my house. I've got my cars. I've got my job. I've got my retirement. I've got it all. I, I have my power in my own home. When I hold the remote, I hold the power, baby, until Heather and Abby come in and want to change the channel, right? Men, we have power in our home. We are king of our domain until she walks in, right? <laughs> That's just the way it is. We have this sense of power in the living room with the remote, and then we have to change it. I'll just DVR it, baby. You watch HGTV now. <laughs> Ultimate sign of power. I did yard work a couple weeks ago. I bought a machete. I was in shorts, tennis shoes, and I strapped that machete to my hip. I came walking in like I was Heather's knight in shining armor. I was like... Psst. Just cut down the banana plant. <laughs> my machete. <laughs> she laminated my man card that day. Um, <laughs> but we have this idea and perspective of power. 
And what happens is when we start to feel like we're losing control, we feel threatened. And then we begin to attack the things we think are taking control from us. Or we oppose them with hostility. Let me read to you James 4. I love love what what, uh, James tells us about this. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but it's in your uh, reading. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that that the Spirit He calls to live in us envies intensely? But He gives us more grace. That is why the Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see, it's not an issue of strength or weakness. It's an issue of pride and humility. Are we willing to humble ourselves to the rightful king? Because at Christmas, we're reminded that the rightful king came in the most humble of fashions. And what's our perspective on our power? Jesus also threatens the world's perspective of security. In our push towards the top of the mountain, we want to protect everything we've got. We want to, we want to lay claim to it. I mean, it goes back even to ranching days. You build a fence to keep your cows in. Keep the bad guys out and keep your cows in. When I was growing up, I grew up with siblings. And so I know how to scrap and protect my toys and my territory. That If you got siblings, you know it's got to roll that way. Dinner time was great. We had this cool thing. Here's how, here's how security worked. Because food in my house would go quick. Because my mom could cook. And, man, and rolls, they don't last. They don't. But I remember how we laid claim to those. I would take the roll. If it's the last roll in the basket, I would take it. I wasn't ready to put it on my plate. I needed to make a statement to the rest of the family or to my siblings. I would pick it up, lick it, put it back in the basket. That's mine. <laughs> we, we, okay, we're laughing, but how many of us go around to our TVs, our cars, all of our stuff, and we're like, that's mine. You, you know what I'm talking about? You protect your stuff with everything you've got. You build this weird sense of security. And, and, and when Jesus comes on, we think that Jesus is coming to take our stuff. Let me tell you the truth here. Jesus owns it anyway. You only got it because he's letting you have it. Think about that. I mean, you, <laughs> we think we own our stuff. And Jesus is like, no, I'm just letting you have it. We think our finances are ours. Jesus is like, I'm just letting you manage them. I mean, it really brings a different perspective to our security. I'm amazed at how much security we find in our own sin. We have those sins of comfort that we think protect us. Let me, let me tell you something I've learned. I've been in, I've been in prisons visiting. <laughs> we think of prison as a secure place. To an inmate, there's very little sense of security. How many of us live lives thinking that our sins that imprison us create security, a false sense of security. When Jesus, who came to give us a new sense of security, says, I've come to unlock the gates that hold you in, to free you from the sin that entangles you and binds you so that you can live a life that is truly free. Here's what I've learned. The safest place on earth is wherever Jesus is. It doesn't matter if you're in the most hostile of environments. If you're there with Jesus, you're in the safest place you can be. That's what I've learned. Think about Peter in the boat. Uh, Peter, G- Peter was in the boat, one of Jesus' disciples. Jesus comes walking on the water like, what's up, guys? 
And Peter's like, hey, if that's you, Lord, tell me to come out there. Jesus like, come on, water's fine. I'm paraphrasing it. <laughs> Peter's like, all right, I'll be honest with you. If I'm sitting in the comfort and security of a boat, I don't want to get out on the water. I can't even ski. And so he's getting ready to walk. Think about that sense of security. It's safer where Jesus is than any sense of security we can try to create in our stuff and even in our sin. We've got to change our perspective of security. Herod built his security through violence. I don't know if some of you have built that comfort in your workspace of stepping on other people to build your kingdom or your empire in the workplace. Let it go. Let it go. Jesus wants to give you a sense of security that's greater than you can imagine. And then Jesus threatens the world's perspective of identity. You see, Herod had built his reputation. Herod did not come by the throne honestly. I don't know if you've ever gotten something, maybe in unethical means, or uh, you're just not sure about how right it is you got that, and you're always looking over your shoulder. This happened to me a couple weeks ago. Um, Herod did not have a rightful claim to the throne. I did not have a rightful claim to something a couple weeks ago. At least I don't think I did. I think I do now. Let me explain. The Wednesday before, the day before Thanksgiving, we decided to put our tree up. We have this fake tree that is pre-lit. All I have to do is get it out of the box, put the pieces together, plug it in and say, girls, do your thing. And they fluff it and make it look all pretty. And then we put on Christmas music and we hang ornaments. I'm not a light guy, okay? I'm not. I plug in this tree, it doesn't light up. So I start going through my diagnostics, which is unplug it, plug it, unplug it, plug it, unplug it, plug it. Wait. Check the breaker. Breaker's on. Unplug it, plug it, unplug it. Wait, there's fuses in here. Change those fuses out. Unplug it, plug it. Doesn't work. Uh, We had to call technical support for our Christmas tree, which unfortunately I could not locate the start button. So we were out of luck there. And so I make the family decision. We're going to get a new tree. This launches a quest, not a trip to the store, a quest to nine stores. We went to so many, because it wasn't, and, and this is for a fake tree. It's not going to all these Christmas tree lots going, well, that one's too full, that one's not full enough, that one's too tall, that one's too short. No, a fake tree. They're all seven and a half feet or nine feet, pre-lit or non-pre-lit. Oh, no, they're not. This one has the funny bristly limbs. This one, I don't like how full, the, so nine stores. We finally find the one we want. I'm like, yes, thank you, Jesus. We can go home. I'm hungry. We're out of it, and our distribution center's out of it. I'm like, oh, God, there's got to be a lesson you're teaching me in this. What is it? Let me learn it now, and let me get a tree and go home. I'm humbling myself before you, God. Teach me. So at Home Depot, I decided instead to buy this little gun that you can test lights with and thought it's going to be a long night. felt like Clark Griswold. You know, you got to check every bulb, son. I was like, oh, help me with patience, dear Jesus. So we're pulling up, and I see a Home Depot. I was like, I'm going to check. Heather goes, look, they said there's none there, none of the distribution center. I was like, humor me. So they have such little faith in in this that they stay in the car. 
I walk into the Christmas tree section. There's a man standing there. It's like, this tree right here, this one, this is the space where they go. I want one of these trees and there's none there. Do you have any in the back? He goes, I don't know. And he looks, he goes, there's one in the cart right here. Just take that one. And how long has said cart been sitting here? He goes, it's been sitting here a while. I was like, man, you're going to have to define a while because I don't want to push this off and some guy come running from Laden and Garden and beat me up. It's like, how long has it been sitting there? It's like, a couple hours. I was like, ah, statute of limitations. Let's go. So, so I, I check out, man. I'm like, you know, and I'm running through the parking lot just thinking I just poached this Christmas tree. I was like, God's favor has shown upon the Oxley family with this tree. So... I come running up. I'm yelling for Heather, pull it up, pull the truck up, get the car. I mean, I felt like she was my grease man. I'm like, let's go. They're like, what did you do? I mean, they thought I stole the tree. I was like, I I think I just poached it, but I just wanted to get out of there just in case. You know, I'm pushing it through the aisles, looking over my shoulder. Okay, Herod sat on on the throne as king like this because he had a false sense of security, a false sense of of power and a false sense of identity. And so he was constantly looking over his shoulder. So when the prophecy came to pass that Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ who had, who had been foretold to come was here, he was disturbed because he knew he had poached the throne. He knew he had gotten it with, with means that he wasn't supposed to be there. The rightful king of kings and the king of the Jews was here. And his identity was about to be shaken. We, we get this whole thing wrapped up in our identity and we try to build who we are. We set our reputation. We, we, we plan things and we post things on Facebook to help our reputation. We do things in, our, in all these environments to help our reputation. Here's the bottom line. We have an identity that is dead until we see Jesus, until we come to Jesus and humble ourselves. He gives us a new identity. I love what 2 Corinthians 5, 21 tells us. It says, those who are in Jesus, they are the righteousness of God. Okay, so before Jesus, I have an identity that is stained and is filthy as though they are filthy rags. And I have no right to be around the grace of God. But through Jesus, through the King of Kings, he gives me a new identity. I'm a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And in that passage, he says, you're the righteousness of God. He changes it. See, Herod thought Jesus was after his throne. Jesus wanted Herod to submit to him so he could give him life and give him an identity that was truly an identity of Christ. He's shaping us and forming us. See, the world thinks that Jesus... The, the perspective of the world think that, thinks that Jesus threatens this idea of power and security and identity. Here's the reality. Here's the truth. Jesus fulfills power, fulfills security, fulfills identity in his kids. We tap into a power greater than we could ever think or imagine when we submit ourselves to Christ. We find a security that isn't just for eternity when we die. Here's the thing. So many people come to that faith decision in Jesus, that amazing grace, so that their eternity is secured. Let me tell you something about the amazing grace of God. It doesn't just save us, but it saves us, sustains us, and carries us safely home. 
And we can live in that security even now. We can have that identity even now. But when we're not willing to see the truth for the truth, we're threatened by these perspectives. And we're going to respond based on how we see things. Some people are going to respond to Jesus in hostility. When we hold on to our life so tight that anytime we feel like Jesus is coming to take it, we're going to fight. We're like, this is mine. We're going to act like like two-year-old children that have our hands gripped around this toy so tightly that when another kid comes up, we're going to scream, mine! And we're unwilling to let our life go. We have hostility towards God. Let me read to you Romans chapter 8 real quick. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You see, this isn't just a new thing in our culture and society where we feel like they're trying to take Jesus out of Christmas. Enemy's been trying to do it for since the beginning of the, of the world. The French philosopher Voltaire said, in 50 years, I can write Christianity and Jesus out of history. Marx tried to do it. When Mao Zedong came into control in China, he wanted to rid the, the country of all Christians and Christianity and he began to kill pastors and imprison them. And he totally destroyed the structure of the church. You know what happened? The church exploded. Because here's the thing. Gamaliel said this in Acts chapter 5. Hey, if what they're doing is of man, it'll fail. But if this is of God, you'll only find yourself fighting God. Let me tell you what I've learned. God's big enough to fight his own battles. He doesn't need me standing on the corner yelling at people, telling them how how wrong they are. He needs me in the checkout line going, Merry Christmas, God loves you. Sometimes God needs me to shut up and just smile and be light. I'm just being honest with you. Here's how you attack the hostility with love. You disarm it with love. I, I think back and I'm saddened by how many relationships that I missed out on And how many people may have missed out on Jesus because I returned hostility with hostility instead of with love? I think as Christians, we can disarm that. What we're called to do is be salt and light. And man, it's hard to do that. That's where turning the other cheek really becomes difficult. But Jesus says you can do it. Turn the other cheek. Some are going to respond with indifference. This is a dangerous situation, a dangerous scenario. Because this exists inside and outside of the church. People who are hostile to God, you're probably not going to deal with many of them in the church. There are people in the church who have some anger and some issues with God, but hostility towards God, you don't see a lot in the church. In the church, you see this indifference. This is apathy and lack of passion. 
This is Revelation chapter 3 when Jesus said, I would much rather you be hot or cold because you're lukewarm. And see, Jesus, I have this low gag reflex, and Jesus does too. It's triggered by by mediocrity and lukewarm. That's Jesus' gag reflex. He's like, because you're lukewarm, I want to vomit you out of my mouth. Indifference is a dangerous game to play. Jesus says, I would rather, Jesus says, I would rather you be fully in love with me or be honest with me and tell me you hate me. Don't play the game. Herod was playing the game. He told the Magi, hey, tell me where Jesus is so I can go worship him. There's a lot of people who sit in church that are like, hey, tell me where Jesus is because I want to go worship him. But we sit here with our arms folded and are just like, oh, I don't want to have anything to do with this Jesus. It's, it works for you. That's good for you. But she drugged me to church. Let me tell you something. If she drugged you to church, thank her. This is a safe place for you to be drugged to church. You know what I mean? We're going to have fun. We're going to speak the truth. We're going to love you. But ultimately, it's, it's you having to make a decision. And, and choosing not to decide is still a decision. And Jesus says, don't, don't, don't do this. It's dangerous. And then some are going to respond with worship. Jesus said a time is coming and has now come when worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. This is the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. The Magi, was, they were on this quest not to find a tree, but to find the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And they bowed before him. They placed their offering, their gold, their incense, their myrrh, and their hearts before the king. And they said, we're here. Our worship's going to cost us something every time. And very few people are going to come and say, I'm here to worship. You see, when we see what Jesus has done for us, that, that invokes worship. I, I can't help but worship Jesus because I know what my life was like before him. And I get pictures sometimes of what my life would be like without him. And I can't help but worship him because he has pulled me out of the muck and the mire and the dirt and the filth. And he said, come on, son, you're the righteousness of God. So what about you? Does your perspective need to change? So I think there's a little Herod in all of us. All of us are holding on too tight to something. Maybe I hit it, maybe I didn't. Maybe the Holy Spirit's telling you what it is right now, exactly what it is. But maybe your perspective needs to change. Maybe this Christmas is the first Christmas that your eyes are truly opened that Jesus came to save you, not to destroy you, not to take it away from you, but to give you life that is truly life. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time together this morning. We thank you for your word, the truth of your word. And we submit ourselves to that, Father. Father, I just ask right now that as you have spoken to us and, and that we have seen how someone's life can be destroyed by holding on to their life so much, I pray that right now in, in our hearts, in our life, that you begin to soften us so that we can let go of the things that give us a false sense of power, of security, and identity. 
Father, help us overcome any hostility. I know we get angry with you. You're big enough to handle it. You said, bring it to me. You told us not to sin in our anger, but you're big enough to handle it. Father, I pray that right now as we're faced with a choice, uh, help us not to be lukewarm this Christmas season. Father, I just feel like you're telling us, get in or get out. And it's my prayer, as it is with yours. You said your, your desire is that none perish, but all come to repentance. My prayer is that we humble ourselves and we worship you. Father, we lay our life, we lay everything we have at your feet. Father, just as the Magi returned a different way, I pray that we get up from this time of worshiping you and hearing your truth, and we leave different, we leave changed, we leave hearing from you. After worshiping you, we hear from you. So, Father, I just pray wherever we're at in this room, I pray that you give us the courage to be honest. That you give us the desire to live a life that is truly life, the life that you've created us to live, that only happens through the manger and through the cross and through the empty grave. We love you. We thank you so much for this Christmas, and we ask for you to open our eyes to the real, true meaning of Christmas. And we pray this in the mighty name, the King of kings, the King of the Jews, the Lord of lords, the wonderful counselor, the great I am, Emmanuel, Jesus. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.